good to be with you again. It was a surprising privilege when I got the call on Friday. Uh, I'm sad that uh, Brother Matt Morgan is not feeling well, um, but uh, I'm happy to, to be here with you again and to be able to bring you the word this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 16 uh, and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Let's go ahead and we'll read our text this morning and then pray and ask for the Lord's help. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father God, we come before you this morning. We come praying and petitioning that you would open our eyes to see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we read earlier from the Gospel of Mark, your glorious Son who walks upon the waves who multiplies loaves and fishes. But Lord, we see that we are just like the Jews and the disciples, unbelieving, dull of heart. Lord, open our eyes. Give us new hearts to see, to taste the goodness of Christ, to believe and embrace him with all of our heart as our hope and salvation. Please give me grace to speak your word this morning and grace to those who hear that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So tomorrow uh, is October 31st. It is uh, what uh, is called Reformation Day, uh, the day that we remember when uh, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, what at the time seemed to be not a very significant event, but what eventually led to what is known as the Protestant Reformation in Europe. And as Reformed Baptists, we can trace our spiritual lineage uh, back to this event. Many of the truths that we confess and love as essential truths of biblical Christianity were rescued from error and from the brink of obscurity by God's hand working through men like Martin Luther and and many others. The cry of the Reformation was summarized by what is called the five solas. Um, Sola meaning alone or only in Latin. And those solas are scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, 
and for the glory of God alone. And basically what those five solas summarized was that Scripture is the sole authority for the faith and practice of the church, and that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. Now, all of these solas are equally important, and they all fit together, but this morning I want to focus on what was probably the key doctrine of the Reformation, and that is justification by faith alone. And our scripture passage this morning is one of the key verses that helped to clarify this doctrine that we're saved by faith alone in the mind and the heart of Martin Luther. Uh, Now Martin Luther was a man who was terrified of God. He was terrified of the thought of dying He was terrified of the thought of standing before God as his holy judge, and he was terrified of being condemned to hell. And it was this fear that drove Martin Luther to make a vow when he was caught in a violent thunderstorm. He was nearly struck by lightning as he was walking across the countryside in Germany, and he was so terrified that he made a vow that if God spared his life, he would become a monk. And he survived the lightning storm, so he felt compelled to keep this vow. So he kept the vow and became a monk, but no matter how much Martin Luther followed the devout rules and the system that was taught to him by the medieval Catholic Church, it could not bring him peace with God. Luther knew that he was a sinner. He knew that God was holy and that he justly punished sinners forever. What Luther did not understand was the gospel of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But one day as Luther was studying this very passage that we read, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 he came to understand the very heart of the gospel. Now, before we get to this gospel truth that led Martin Luther to peace and joy, we need to emphasize that Luther was right to fear. He was right to be afraid. Luther rightly understood his sinfulness. He rightly understood the holy justice of God. And I'm afraid that today people may misinterpret what happened to Martin Luther. They may say, well, Luther suffered from a terrible view of himself. He had terrible self-esteem, saw himself as a sinner. He had a terrible view of God as this angry judge in the sky. So that is why he is so disturbed. But when he learned that God is love and sin is really no big deal, then he just learned to chill out and be happy. No, this is not what happened um, to Luther. Luther's view of his sin and his view of the just wrath of God against sin is accurate. 
He was right. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is against the unrighteousness, the sin of man. He was right about that. He understood that. He was right to fear and tremble at the thought of standing before a holy God as his judge. Look over at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, Luther was right. He was right to understand, I am a sinner. I have sinned against God. I have broken His commandments. God is holy, just, and righteous. He punishes sin. He condemns sinners to hell. He is right to fear. And I, I wonder, do you rightly understand your sin? Do you rightly understand that God is holy? Do you tremble at the thought of standing before a holy God as your judge, having broken His laws and rebelled against His rule all of your life? Or do you think that sin is no big deal? Do you think that God is love, therefore that must mean God is nice and lenient to people. He only sends the very worst of people to hell, but not you, not me. I think this is the main problem and obstacle of our culture understanding the gospel, of understanding how amazing grace really is, is because we don't believe in sin. We don't believe that God is holy and just and punishes sinners. We need to understand what Martin Luther understood. We need to tremble as Martin Luther trembled. Luther knew his sin. He knew that his greatest need was to be made right before God, to be justified before God. He just didn't understand how. How can a sinner be justified before a holy God? So this was Luther's dilemma, and it is ours too. How can sinners who have broken the law of God be made right again? How can the unjust be made just? And perhaps you might say, well, Preacher, it's easy. You're making this more complicated than it is. It's easy. God just forgives us. No, it is not that easy. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15 says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. He who justifies the wicked. 
right? The person who looks at a wicked, guilty lawbreaker and says, you're good, it's okay. That is an abomination to God. It is, it is repulsive to God. But isn't that what we say God does for us? Forgives guilty sinners, says to guilty sinners, you're innocent? How is that possible? How can God do that? How can God look at a sinner and say, you're okay, you are forgiven, and not be unjust himself? This is the dilemma of the gospel. How can a holy God committed to righteousness and justice forgive and treat guilty men as if they are righteous? Well, go back to our text in Romans chapter 1. Back to our verses, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is only in this gospel that we find God's answer to this dilemma. God himself has made the way for sinners to be brought back, to be reconciled to him. God has revealed the way for sinners to be forgiven and made righteous in his sight. And this way is through his son, Jesus Christ. Go back up to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now he's going to begin to expand on this gospel. What is this gospel? Which he promised beforehand through the prophets in his holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This gospel, this good news of salvation, is concerned about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the center of it. Christ is the center of this good news. God sent Jesus Christ into the world, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to be our representative and Savior. In this mission, Jesus has to accomplish two things for our salvation. Right? We have a twofold problem with God. Number one, we have a debt of sins that we have committed, a debt that needs to be paid, a penalty that needs to be paid, and we lack righteousness. Right? God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. Those who would dwell with God must also be righteous. Only perfect people, righteous people, can dwell with a righteous God forever. So we have this twofold problem. On the one hand, we have a debt, and on the other hand, 
We don't have righteousness. We need both of these things taken care of. And that is what Jesus came to accomplish. Number one, Jesus had to live a life of sinless perfection. Perfect obedience to God and His law. Jesus had to do this because that is what righteousness is. Righteousness is obeying God joyfully from the heart. And that's what Jesus did. In perfect conformity to God's law, perfect and joyful obedience from his heart, his entire life. And secondly, Jesus also had to commit to pay the penalty of the sin for those that he would save. And that penalty would be death under the wrath of God. As we said before, sin cannot be passed by. It cannot be swept under the rug by a holy God. And this is what we, especially today, need to understand. Sin cannot be passed by by a holy God. Sin cannot be winked at by a holy God. Oh, it's okay. Not a big deal. It is a big deal. Every one of our sins, I I think it's R.C. Sproul who coined the phrase, every sin is cosmic treason. Committing treason against the holy and righteous creator, the best of beings, God. We've committed treason. God does not wink at treason. He does not sweep treason under the rug. It must be dealt with. It must be punished. And that is what Christ came to do to bear for us. And so Jesus came to do these two things as the God-man. He lived a life of perfect obedience, perfect and complete righteousness. And then by God's plan, Jesus is betrayed and crucified. And on that cross, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Laid upon Jesus Christ our sins, all of our sins. And then he poured out his wrath, his holy anger upon his son, Jesus Christ, as the substitute for us, as the Lamb of God, taking our place, taking our death upon himself. And then on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus appeared to his disciples, showing himself to be alive, telling them to go out and proclaim forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And he ascended to heaven to be our high priest and mediator before God. Now, Luther knew all these biblical truths. He knew the story of Christ. He knew all these things. But what was fuzzy in Luther's mind was how the work of Christ was applied and appropriated to him. How do these benefits come to me? He 
He was lost. Luther was lost in a maze of Roman Catholic teachings that obscured the gospel, that made it unclear, that made it into a system of human works and human merits that gave him no peace of conscience, no assurance of salvation before God, until he came to understand what the Apostle Paul was saying in these very verses. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. The just shall live by faith. Martin Luther was was teaching, lecturing through the book of Psalms and Galatians and Romans. And he came to these verses in Romans and he said, he was pounding saying, Apostle Paul, what do you mean by this? Tell me what you mean. I don't understand this. The just shall live by faith. To use an analogy, Luther saw himself like a debtor, a a criminal, against a great king. He saw himself dressed in the filthy rags of his sin, unable to pay his debt, unable to pay the penalty of crime. But through Christ's Through Christ, provision had been made to pay his debt, to absolve his crimes, to wash him, to clothe him in new clothing, and to make him part of the king's house. The question was how to unlock the door. How do I unlock the door and gain access to all the benefits that Christ has purchased for us? What was the key? How do we unlock this door? How do we access this treasure? Was the key penance? Tried that key. Nope. Was the key good works? I'll do good works. I will do all these things. No. Was the key prayers to the saints? Was the key participation in the sacraments of the church? No. No. Can you see him trying all the keys on his Catholic key ring? All of these things are not working. They're not opening the door. They're not giving me peace with God. But Paul here gives us the key. Paul says the key is faith. The just shall live by faith. It is faith that unlocks the door and gives us access to all that Jesus Christ has done as the Savior. Both the free and full pardon of all of our sins and the application of Christ's righteousness, adoption as sons of God, all of these things that come to us and make us just and acceptable to God. The key is faith. What is saving faith? What is this saving faith by which we gain access to all the riches of salvation. Paul gives us a good definition, an example of faith, in Romans chapter 4. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Now here, he's using Abraham as an example. Remember, Abraham, God had promised Abraham that he would have a son a son through his barren wife, Sarah. 
So verse 20 says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I think there is the most simple biblical explanation of faith. Being convinced that God is able to do what he promises, what he says he will do. Abraham believed God. He trusted that God would do what he said. God said, I will give you a son through Sarah. Abraham said, okay, I believe. That's faith. Now, the promise that is held out in the gospel to us is that God has promised to save us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. To accept his sacrifice, God accepts Jesus' sacrifice as complete payment for our sin forever. He counts Jesus' obedience and perfect righteousness as our own, credited to us forever and ever. Faith is accepts this promise of God found in the Scriptures, and it rests in it, trusting that God will do what he has said. Luther defined faith as a living, bold trust in God's grace. A living, bold trust in God's grace. Another theologian, Jean Taffin, I believe he's Dutch, theologian, defined faith as both the knowledge and the confidence that it is God's will to save you and to embrace you as his cherished child in Christ Jesus. The knowledge and the confidence that God will save you through Jesus Christ. Similarly, faith in Jesus Christ is a living trust and confidence in the person and work of Christ as our only hope of salvation. It is to rest on his word and promise to save us and make us God's children forever. It is this simple trust in the promise of God and in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ that unlocks all of salvation and justifies us before God. The just will live by faith. You might say, well, this sounds so simple. It sounds too easy. But I'm glad that we read that chapter in Mark this morning. You see what happened. We see the condition of man. Right here is Jesus, all power in, in heaven and on earth, walking upon the waters, multiplying bread, but... How do people respond to him? Unbelief. Unbelief. Hardness of heart. Dullness of mind. We think, oh, faith is the most simple thing in the world. And that would be true if it were not for a sinful nature that dwells in our heart. We are bent towards unbelief. Right? We, we read through the Old Testament. And we just 
criticize those Israelites to shame, those dumb people. How could they witness this? How could they experience all the power, all the miracles of God, and then disobey Him, not believe Him, not trust in Him? Because that is the human condition. That is the blindness of our hearts. And it takes a miracle, a regenerating work of God within our own hearts to actually believe and trust in Jesus Christ. It is something that is humanly impossible. But for the work of God, for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we come to believe. And so here in the gospel, God holds out this promise. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Don't say, who will ascend into heaven? Don't say, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to earn this salvation? Nothing. What must I do to be doing the works of God? Jesus says, believe in the one whom God has sent. He didn't say swim the ocean. He didn't say climb the highest mountain. He didn't say crawl on your knees till they're bleeding. Repent until you think you mean it. He said believe. Believe in the one whom God has sent. Trust him. Hear the promise of salvation. Believe it. Cling to it. And you will be saved. When Martin Luther came to understand that a sinner is justified by this simple faith in Jesus Christ, this is what he wrote. But when, by the Spirit of God, I understood these words, referring to Romans chapter 1, our text, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. In very truth, this text, referring to our text in Romans, was to me the gate of paradise. Justification by faith, to know that we are received by a merciful God through the work of Jesus Christ, by faith, is the door into paradise. There's no works you need to add to it, Nothing you need to do to supplement it. Just believe and throw yourself upon Jesus Christ. Have you been taught by the Spirit of God to trust and rest in Jesus Christ? Have you come to know and to believe with a living and bold trust that it is God's will to forgive you and embrace you as his child through the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ. Have you been taught these things? If not, then why not now? I just want to show you two very basic gospel promises in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 45. Oops. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 22. Here God says, 
turn to me. Some translations say, look to me, turn and look to me, and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Here's the invitation of the gospel. Turn, turn from your sin, turn to God and look to him and be saved. Look in trust, look in faith, accept this promise and be saved. It's as simple as that. Turn and look to him in simple trust and be saved. John chapter 3, and we're all familiar with this verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God in mercy sent his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes, whoever looks to him, trusts in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. They will pass from death to life. Do you believe that? Have you embraced that? Is that your only hope? Looking away from yourself, looking away both from all your sins and all your good works, throwing both of those things aside, looking to Christ alone. Here are two gospel promises. Won't you believe that he is able and willing to do what he says? Now these truths, the truths at stake in the Protestant Reformation were not minor side issues. But they go to the very heart of the gospel. Revealed in the scriptures alone do we find God's way of saving sinners. And this way is based on his free grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from all other human merits or works. And in this way, salvation brings glory to God alone. I pray that these truths would never be hidden and obscured from his church again. Let's pray. Lord God, we come again to you. Lord, these truths are so glorious, yet so simple. So simple a child can understand them and embrace them in faith, but yet impossible for sinful men to truly know and to truly do apart from your spirit. So, Lord, we pray, again, give us eyes to see. Give us a faith that believes your word and your promises, that embraces Christ, that throws away all doubts and fears in ourselves, all pride in ourselves, 
and looks to Jesus Christ alone. Lord, grant this simple faith to embrace your promises. Lord, grant that we might also, like Martin Luther, be brought from fear to faith, might be brought from terror to peace with God by simply living by faith, embracing Christ by faith. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask for you to do what I cannot do and follow this word up with your power and your work within the hearts of those who hear, that they might too embrace Christ in faith, might come to be convinced that the Father has saved them through the Son and that they are God's children. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.